brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. When I was training for my first ultra, a few people said, oh, you're going you're gonna to want to quit. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, but you really do. And it's, it's a very weird thing. There were times, even this last race, where I thought I may need to to stop, like to that level of discomfort, to that level of pain. And yet I moved. You are here for a reason, but navigating this human life can be challenging. How do you care for your body, mind, and spirit to make the most of your time here on earth? How can you harness your incredible human potential? In this podcast, we explore these questions and more to help you craft your best life yet. Welcome to I Am Human. Hello, humans. I'm Dr. Yami, and I am your host, and I am so happy to be here with you today. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of I Am Human. Just a quick reminder to please rate and review the podcast if you haven't already. So to be human means to crave comfort and to stay within our comfort zone, but it also means to deliberately push ourselves into a zone of discomfort and to push our limits and embrace daily discomfort in order to grow. Our guest is perfect to teach us these lessons. Sid Garza-Hillman is the author of four published works, including his latest book, Ultra Running for Normal People, Life Lessons Learned on and Off the Trail. He holds a BA in philosophy from UCLA, is a public speaker, a podcaster, a certified nutritionist and running coach, an oxygen advantage breathing instructor, and founder of Small Steppers, which is a stress management and habit change coaching program. He is the Stanford Inn and Resorts Wellness Programs Director and Race Director of the Medicino Coast 50K Trail Ultra Marathon. What I love about this conversation is it really made me think back to the motivational triad. So the motivational triad is three things that can keep us stuck, that can keep us in our comfort zone, that can keep us seeking more substances and pleasurable foods and keep us on the couch and keep us from doing the things that we really want to do to live our best lives. So what is the motivational triad? Just for a reminder, it's avoid pain, seek pleasure, and conserve energy. So these are the things that help us survive. This is how our species evolved. So they're not bad. We definitely want to make sure that we're not out there doing things that are hurting us continuously and that we are eating when we're hungry and and those kinds of things. But when we get really deep 
into that motivational triad. We only want to be in comfort. We never want to experience any kind of discomfort. We only want to feel pleasure. That's when we become limited. That's when we're blocked from reaching our goals and our dreams. In this episode, we talk about ultra running. Sid defines an ultra marathon. And why would any normal person ever want to do something like this? He talks about how our species might be wired for ultra running. He talks about how stress, fear, and discomfort may actually be good things. We talk about our addiction to comfort. And then he talks about how whenever we push ourselves as humans and we find that we can push beyond where we thought our limit was, it really teaches us something and it gives us this grit. It gives us this confidence to be able to go pursue other goals and dreams. We talk about approaching fear when it comes to life goals and dreams. We talk about creativity and how he discovered really his creativity was amplified on these trails. So It's a really great episode. We definitely touch on nutrition as well. He has this really interesting food concept called the light box and the heavy box. So he explains that. And we talk a lot about ultra running. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode and it gives you something to think about and maybe challenges you a little bit and intrigues you. Now on to the episode. The information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. If you have concerns about your health or well-being, please consult a healthcare professional. Sid Garza Hillman, welcome back to I Am Human. (laughs) It's good to be back. It's nice to see you again. Good to see you. So we're going to talk about ultra running today, which is very intriguing to me. And I definitely want to hear more about all your experiences. But let's start with a definition first. What is ultra running? And why would a quote normal person, which is what you like to refer to as all of us in your book. <laughs> Most um, of us, yeah, that's for sure. Ever, ever want to do it or run an ultra marathon? Okay, well, an ultra marathon, just strict strict definition, is anything over a marathon. So really, 26.2 miles is a marathon. So as soon as you take your first step past that, that's technically an ultra marathon. However, in the world of ultra running, there's fairly set distances like my, the race I direct is a 50 K. So it's about 32 miles, 33 miles. And then there's a, you know, hundred K and there's a 50 miler. Well, anyway, wrong direction, 50 K, 50 miler, hundred K, hundred mile or that, and so on and so forth. And now they're up to like 240 miles. Like it's, it's, it's getting like, you know, and so it's a thing and most of it is on trails. And that's for, in the book, it was, I would say overwhelmingly ultra marathons are on trails or I guess there's some on roads, but what I specifically focus on in the book was trail ultra running because that really is more of what the sport is about. Now, why would somebody like me and you and most people do it? That's the intricate, nuanced question. It speaks to us as human beings and um, our, or what I would argue our more natural design, um, being in nature, um, being able to withstand things that we think we can't withstand in the modern world, but we can, and getting back to the kind of the strength that's in us already and, and really expressing that. And that's, uh, I think, at the core of the, of the book. What the last lesson in the book is test your metal, you know, putting yourself out there in a way that 
kind of aligns with who we are, each of us. And this assumption that we could never do it, I take that into question. Yeah, I love that. And I love exploring those topics. And I read in your book that you had also at the beginning of your journey encountered the book Born to Run and learned about the Tara Umara. And that's actually what triggered my journey into veganism, believe it or not. Oh, we know. So it was actually it while I was reading that book, I was like, wow, these people run for fun. It's part of their culture and they subsist on a predominantly plant-based diet. That's right. And it shattered all of my perceptions of being an athlete and what you need to eat to have a strong body that can endure long distances of aerobic activity, you know? And so that's what really prompted me. But I also at the time was had started my journey into half marathons, which is just a a measly 13.1 miles. Still incredible. (laughs) (laughs) So, and so I love endurance events. And now I am training for my very first half Ironman. Oh, well, cool. Which my first one's going to be in May of this year, nice. 2024. Oh my gosh, congratulations. So I'm, I'm very into this topic. So I'm glad that you wrote this book. Cool. But one of the things I've never done an ultra marathon. So the longest I've done is the 26.2 miles. I've done it twice. And after the second one, I'm just like, I don't know if I'm ever going to do this again. That's happened to me exactly so, after the second yeah, one. Yeah. Talk about how you balance being like this normal person and figuring out what is too extreme? Like what is, what is too much? I don't know if we've even found the limit yet. If you say that now we have 240 mile races. I mean, that seems like a lot for one human being, but in your mind, how do you reconcile what might be too extreme versus obviously we have all won the sedentarianism award mm-hmm. for our species. We've, right. we've conquered that. We've learned how to sit on the couch for years on end. Yeah. Where do we find that balance? Yeah, well, it's to me, and I, I probably am a little bit of an outlier in this, in this regard, but to me, it's when you consider all the aspects of your life. So, so for your listeners, the way I define a normal person is just somebody who's not an elite athlete, essentially. Somebody who is like me, you know, I have a family and I have a job and I have things, I'm writing books and I have clients and I have lots of things going on. So it's not like my world revolves around ultra running. And I will say that as a, as a sport and why, I, why I'm quote unquote selling it as a thing for people to try potentially is because it really is a different animal than road races. Uh, it's very, because of the nature of the trails, you know, I just ran one two months ago and, and I would say 80% of that race I was by myself. And I don't mean like I can see somebody else like by myself on a trail in the middle of a forest, you know, or, you know, on a hill. It's very cerebral. It's very internal. It's very much a sort of balance swing from the sedentary social media news, junk food kind of driven world that, that, that we inhabit. And so it's this kind of push. Now, where the limit is, I don't know. You know, and to, for, to me, I look at my whole life. How am I sleeping? How am I eating? How's my relationships going? How's my st- overall stress level? If those things are starting to decline, then I know that I'm at my limit in whatever capacity. And that could be that I'm running too much or that I'm not sleeping well or whatever. I found in my own life that I was able to run ultra marathons. Now, I got to be clear. I don't care how fast I go. And, and, and that's a key point. I, I, I don't wear a watch when I run. And the guy that wrote the forward of the book, Skip Brand, buddy of mine who owns a company called Healdsburg Running Company, he calls it trail surfing. And it is a very much of a mindset of freedom. 
of getting out on a trail and letting go of the data points and the uploading to Strava. And, and that stuff is very much inhabiting the marathon, the road race world, the, you know, and it's, if you like it, do it. I just found a whole nother world of like the Tarahumara being on trails. They're not wearing watches. They're not even wearing running shoes. They're wearing sandals. And so it's this kind of hearkening back to what I think we need as a species now, which is to get out there and see where we are as people and putting, putting our, our butts on the line really in, in these ways and grappling with ideas of failure, for instance. I don't think it's failure to try an ultramarathon and not finish it. I think it's a failure not to try it in the first place. And that's hard thing for people to wrap their heads around. They won't try it because they go, I could never do that. It's like, well, you don't know until you try. And trying it makes you happier. It really, really does. It makes you happier and more vibrant and healthier in your mind and body to push a little bit sometimes. Not all the time. And not too much to the point that your relationships are failing and you're not sleeping well, but to always kind of search where that line is. That's kind of the, the, the ethic of the book. Always kind of be in search of where that limit is and, and try not to cross it, but try to get close to it. Uh, really good points. And I think that the way that you presented it, you presented it so well, because that's how I talk to patients and families about things. When do you know something is a problem if it's starting to interfere with your quality of life? And that's exactly what you were saying. If, you know it's too much if you're not sleeping well or if you're, you know, avoiding everybody because you just have to run all the time, That's you right. know, maybe it's it's a little bit too much. It's interfering with your quality of life. So you write, we win both individually and as a species when we learn to coexist with stress, fear, and discomfort in general. Why is that? Because we, I believe that a little bit of stress is a, is a good thing. I think too much stress is, you know, that's the balance of it. You know, when I coach people, I'm a small stepper. That's kind of my thing. And, and it's finding always that balance of too little, I call it the Goldilocks of stress, like that kind of nice little pocket. And fear and stress, they can be debilitating. I think in the modern world, I know that I just did a podcast episode on my own show about, you know, fear cells, you know, and when you can make somebody afraid of dying or afraid of this or afraid of that, you, they'll, they'll buy because they don't want to feel that fear. And somebody recently told, I do, you know, I do a fair amount of things. I direct the race and I work at the wellness center and, all the and somebody said, oh, you're just like not afraid of anything. I'm like, I'm afraid of everything. You know, it's <laughs> not like I don't walk, I'm not a robot. I don't go like, oh, it's easy to put a book out in the world and get criticized. You know, it's like, it's a fearful and, and it's a struggle for me day to day. However, I have evolved as a person to coexist with that fear, to coexist with that stress, to say, I'm not going to try to make it go away, but I'm also not going to let it dictate my actions. And that's, the pocket and and you know the last race I did the ultramarathon I was I was t terrified I was fairly undertrained for this particular one and I that night I mean you only get two hours of sleep anyways because you're so much anxiety but I was terrified I was like why am I you know and you all that stuff comes up all the stuff that comes up that we push down in our sort of distraction lifestyles you know there's so much distraction that's just at our, our it's in our hands all the time the phone is a distraction and so. When this stuff comes up, it's, I think it's a really healthy thing to grapple with on occasion. We can't do it all the time because we, we couldn't go to work. We were just thinking about all these things all the time. But when it comes up, it's a good thing to grapple with sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Correct. And especially when you succeed, that builds that confidence, Correct. you know, knowing I can do it. Nothing bad's actually going to happen. But even if something does happen, I was able to manage it, conquer it, find a way around it. And so that helps give you that confidence for next time you're feeling those feelings. But yeah. we also, you know, live in that modern world where we're afraid of things that don't exist. And, yeah. you know, we make up all these scenarios. And so we're wasting all of our energy on things that we're just making up in our heads, you know. Yeah. And so I think that can definitely bring us down. 
were referring to this earlier, another quote from your book. If at the moment we feel like quitting, we instead continue in spite of it, then we see a power inside of us we never knew we had, and often for the first time. And that's kind of referring to that feeling of like, okay, right. you're scared. You're, you don't think you're going to do it. You don't think you're going to finish it, but you keep going. You find that reserve inside of you. And I think you mentioned this in your book too, that I don't know if it's like the Navy SEALs that say that when you feel like you have nothing left, you're only at 40% yeah. of your capacity. You still have a lot left. Yeah. You know, you just never accessed it. You never tried. That's right. So what can we gain from digging deep and understanding our inner strength and how else can this help us in our lives? Well, I think what you said is it, it does provide, and I was talking about the book, it, it provides perspective. I think as sort of miserable as it sounds, it's, it's a weird thing. I think there's an assumption that people who run ultra marathons were just like gluttons for punishment. I'm sure there's people like that. I'm not one of them. I'll say this. When I was training for my first ultra, a few people said, oh, you're going you're gonna to want to quit. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, but you really do. And it's, it's a very weird thing. There were times, even this last race, where I thought I may need to, to stop, like to that level of discomfort, to that level of pain. And yet I moved and I was like, okay, well, and I talked about this in the book. I was like, I'll just get to the next aid station. Okay, I'll just, I'll just get to the next aid station. Okay, okay, okay now I'll get to the next. You know, and you just, it's all there and you sort of, it all comes out. And so then people, why would you do that? It's because it's in that moment that you, and I always tell people like, you're already this strong. This isn't strengthening. This is like, it's there. It's there in our species. And when we could access that and bring that out, it's all better for everybody when we're happier and more fulfilled. And we have perspective of like, well, the thing at the work isn't that big of a deal. I just ran 50 miles and thought I was going to collapse at mile 30. You know, you like you get through these things, you know, testing your metal, putting your, yourself out there like that once in a while, not even that often. But I mean, the people who run my race, for instance, ages 17 to 70s, I'm not kidding. I get four people, at least four over 70s every year. And this is a 32 mile wow. trail run on, with 5,000 feet of climb. Oh my gosh. And they, and they come and at least 10 over 60s and they come across the finish line. No, no, no problem. I mean, better than I, better times than I did on the, on the last one, by the way. And these are people they come across. They're not, and by the way, they're not trying to win. They're just, it's the experience of this. It's putting yourself through it once in a while to sort of reset your perspective, reset your, you know, grounding your connection to yourself and to your family. And it's just that reset that I don't think we get in the modern world, again, because of the influx of social media news and everything else that's kind of inhabiting our brains all the time. I think human beings are fascinating and the extremes that we're able to push ourselves, sometimes maybe not the healthiest. I'm sure you've heard of David Goggins and yeah. how he's pushed his body. And I'm just curious now that you're in this world and you have experience with it. I've heard that a lot of people that run ultra marathons sometimes they end up having hallucinations by the end. How often is that happening? And is it really only in these like 100 miler pluses that this is happening? Usually it's in the 100 miler. I mean, I, I, I joked one time as I was getting ready to do my, I think I'd done my 50 miler and this guy was like, yes, yeah. so all of a sudden you'll start seeing monkey, like monkeys hanging from the limbs. I was like, wait, those weren't real, you know? And, and because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because there's that, there is, you know, points, but I would say those are the longer races. I've never had that happen. I did a 50 mile and I've done nine, uh, 50 Ks, which are, you know, anywhere from 32 to 34 miles. But there's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, there's fatigue, there's physical, mental, and it in that raw state, I think is a pretty profound reality, which is our connection to other people, the sort of surface stuff falls away. And then there's like very human to human connection. The, the race I just ran, the, 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 it was a 55K. 
but they were also running 100K at the same time, a separate, you know, same race, but it started an hour earlier. Well, I was really feeling it. This was a very hard race. I had no idea how hard it was. It was a lot of climbing. Like it was either either super uphills or super downhills. There was like no flats. It was, it was maddening. Anyways, I was feeling it and I was struggling pretty hard at one point. And all of a sudden, these top runners from the 100K, these are like the, peop- the men and women who were like in the top positions, like five of them stopped and they're like, are you okay? Can we, can we give you, like, we have snacks. Do you want something to eat? Like there's, and I go run, you're like about to win the race. Go do, go do your thing. Like, it's okay. But how cool is that? How, how great is that, that I'm on a trail, I'm dying and they're stopping going, do you need some stuff? I've got stuff. And I'm like, it's okay. Thank you. I'm just taking, you know, and I was like, this is a sport. This is the best, right? How cool that is to kind of reconnect on that level. But it's that, you know, it's that weird thing of like knowing it's going to be uncomfortable and doing it anyways, knowing it's going to be uncomfortable and doing it anyways. And I, you know, I get in the, I'm, I'm a cold therapy guy. I get in my, this morning, got my 40 degree tub on my deck and that's Ugh. that, I know. And that's that little, you know, that's that little moment every day. You know, people talk about the science of it. I think it's not conclusive yet. I think it's exciting what they're studying, but for me, it's the mental game. It's, it's, I don't want to do this and I'm going to feel better when I get out. I don't want to do this. I'm going to feel better when I get out. And that's a hundred percent of times that's happened even this morning. I don't want to do it. And I'm, I feel really good and rejuvenated when I get out every time. And so that's the modern human being kind of battle is that sort of lizard brain versus our prefrontal cortex, kind of like the survival fight or flight and overcoming that and saying, I'm going to do this anyway. I rationally know this is not unsafe, but it's going to be uncomfortable. Let me forge ahead. And there is power in that. Like you said, self-confidence, self-esteem. That's how we build ourselves. You can't hack that. You can't get that on social media. I don't care how many people are liking your posts. Self-esteem and self-confidence come from action and they come from you know power and habit and putting yourself out there. And I think ultra running does a real good job in that regard. Yeah. It's building that grit of consistently doing things that are uncomfortable. So one of my favorite mantras is discomfort is the catalyst for growth, knowing that if I want to grow as a, as a human, I want to grow as a person in this lifetime, I have to do uncomfortable things over and over and over and over That's right. I tell my clients, you have to be comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. And then it's like practice. It's like any other type of practice. It prepares you for just life. Because life is uncomfortable and we can't control everything that's going to happen. So it just really helps toughen us up for all of those different things that we encounter, whether it's in our relationships with our families, in our jobs, you know, in our sports, whatever. It really is just doing that over and over and over again that helps us in all our aspects of our life, I think. Oh, no, I completely agree. The hitch is that as technologies emerge, if you think about most technologies, they're to make, in theory, ourselves less stressed. And so that's the problem is that we have to intentionally put ourselves into discomfort. That's a very weird thing as a human being. The way we're wired is to intentionally do that. But the distractions that are there, the drugs, and I don't mean even you know prescription and, and not recreational, the drugs that sort of push down any kind of discomfort. I have a headache, Tylenol not fix the underlying issue of why I have headaches all the time or why I'm not sleeping well, but let me just take the drug. And so we create things in the modern world that make us soft, you know, climate control. We can almost avoid 100% of discomfort. We can just pick up the phone and food comes into our door. We don't have to do anything to get it. We don't have to move day to day. So exercise is a perfect example of that hormetic kind of stress is we have to choose to exercise. We don't need to. There's no reason to exercise. There's no real reason other than if you choose that it's good for you, 
But you have to make that choice because there's no survival reason to do it. We don't have to go foraging for food like animals do. We just get the yeah. food brought in as, or we drive there and take five steps and get our food and get back in our car. So these are kinds of places that we, I think when we put ourselves into, we, we win at, at the end when we are discomfort, we have discomfort sometimes. Too much discomfort, it causes us stress, but a little, we grow and we adapt. And that's what exactly what you're speaking to. And I agree. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing though. <laughs> it is amazing how we've gotten to a, a, a time in modern life where we've reduced discomfort as much as possible, which I'm not going to complain because I love having AC and heater and blankets sure. and, um, you know, <laughs> things available. I think it's great, yeah. but it, it, it's just, it is incredible that as humans, we figured out all these ways, but then we get here and we're like, but still there's, this isn't quite right. There's something here that we need to improve on. And so I think it is important to pay attention to where in our lives we can push out of that comfort zone so that we can get to that well-being. We can get that growth that we want. So it's yeah. just ironic, isn't it? It's like super well, it is. ironic. And the thing about it is like, you know, I get into my cold tub for two minutes, but the rest of the time I'm in clothes and I have blankets also. So I'm not saying be in discomfort all the time. I'm saying little forays into that make you more present and aware and actually appreciative of the comfort that we have. And instead of just being in that state all the time, stepping out of it sometimes gives us the perspective of appreciating the things that we have. That's, that's kind of, you know, one of the, one of the many arguments in the book, but that's what that is. That's kind of yeah. the idea. Yeah. Experiencing that contrast for that's sure right. That's right. helps you appreciate it. And be like, that's right. You know, you, 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 Take it for granted until you have to experience the opposite. And you're like, oh my goodness, I'm really happy. You like when your heater yeah. breaks or when your air yeah. conditioner breaks yeah. or things yeah. like yeah. that, you're like, exactly. wow. Yeah. Well, let's go back and talk about fear. How should we approach fear when we consider our life goals and our dreams? How do you think fear impacts people or causes them to abandon what they really hope for in life? Well, I think this speaks to the discomfort thing too. You know, we're, we're afraid of discomfort. We're afraid of failure. And, you know, when I'm coaching my clients in stress management and stuff, it fears probably the number. I mean, notice that the fear is the first lesson in the book. It is fear of, and of course, our, our threshold for fear is, of course, very sensitive because we're so comfortable all the time that even the slightest bit of discomfort is, is fearful. I've had people go, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to try yoga. I won't be good at it. It's like, no, nobody's good at it when you start something, you know, and we're so afraid of not being good. We're so afraid of failure. We're so afraid of people judging us. And I think what we do in the modern world via technology and things is we try to make that fear go away. We try to push it down. We try to make it not exist. And my argument, and you know, this is my fourth book, and I've made similar arguments in all, almost all my books, is that we need to learn to be okay with that. That's, fear is another disc, form of discomfort. It's another thing we don't want to feel. And yet, oddly, when we do feel it, we're probably living a pretty good life. If you're uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, and, and I quoted this in the book, but it's not quite sure if she said it or not, but it's something like, do something that scares you every day. And that's kind of that, again, the cold tub or whatever that is for you, that little bit of jolt of electricity that you kind of inject in yourself. Like, I'm gonna do this thing that stretches me just a little bit. Now, where you stretch, that's up to you. I don't know where your baseline is, but something that's outside of your, outside of your comfort zone, a little bit, maybe not every day, but you know, sometimes. And look, people look at ultra and they go, well, that's the extreme. I go, okay, but 70 year olds are running it. So is it really that extreme? These are not people that are, you know, running seven minute pace for they're walking the hills. They're stopping to take pictures. It, it's a different, this is at least my version than what I talk about in the book is 
I didn't even look at my watch when I ran my race. I didn't know how long I was out there until I had a mile left of the race I just did. Never looked at a, I don't wear a watch. My phone was in my pocket the whole time. The only reason I pulled it out is because my buddy, who's also named Sid, came out on the trail <laughs> to look for me because I had been out so long. It was a really bad day. It was, I was out 10 hours and 40 minutes. And she comes to come find me with her dog. She's like, I said, hey, what are you doing out here? She goes, we were wondering where you were. I wasn't even last place. That's how hard this race was. And, uh, oh. but, I, but I was pretty close. Anyways, and so she, she's like, we just came in to find you. I go, how long have I been out? And I pull my phone out and I'm like, oh, 10 hours and 40 minutes. Whoa, you know? And, uh, and that's the only way. Otherwise, I was just kind of no music. No podcast, just thinking about my family and looking at the trees and the water and where we were, you know, just kind of being in that space. And so that's, again, that's, that's existing with fear, coexisting with it, working on a habit of not letting it dictate your actions. But we stop at fear. It's so uncomfortable that we go, I'm afraid of doing it. I'm not doing it. And we are not getting happier as a species and we are not getting healthier as a species. And those things mean that our direction isn't working. And if we can balance, counter, you know, do a course correction with these kinds of things, ultra running or whatever, we are better for it as a, individually and as a species. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I think fear is so interesting and I think it can come in lots of different forms. Anxiety might be more familiar to some people. Maybe they interpret it as just like this worry or, or stress about something. So one of my experiences that I'm going through is learning how to become a better swimmer. So oh, I only yeah. started learning how to do freestyle a few months ago. I before that was just one of those people that just got in the pool recreationally, didn't really swim for fitness, just kind of splashed around, yeah. lounged in the pool. You know, I never swam or competed or did anything like that. So this has been a big journey for me. And I saw a post by somebody recently that said that whenever you fear something, it's not that you're fearing failure, you're fearing other people seeing you fail. And I was like, oh, that kind of hits home for me because I remember when I first started learning how to swim, I was so embarrassed about everything. I was like, I don't even know how to put this cap on. Right. I look dumb getting into the pool. How do you ask somebody if you can share a lane? Everything felt like so scary and embarrassing to me because I was afraid people are going to say, oh my God, she doesn't even know how to swim. Yeah. Look at her. She's yeah. horrible. And like, nobody cares. Yeah. Like if I, now that I'm a better swimmer, you almost see other people and you want to help them. Yeah. So it's really interesting that, and that's happened to me a lot. That happened to me with skiing too. Like I'm always afraid that people like, passing over, like they're on the lift passing yeah, over, they're going to see how yeah, yeah. a bad skier I am and like make yeah. fun of me. And isn't that such an interesting human thing? Because you're talking about these races and you're talking about like this extreme bonding that you have and how everybody really cares about each other and wants to take care of each other right. and wants everybody to finish and succeed. So it's actually the opposite. Yeah. As humans, we really want to help each other, but there's a part of us inside that we're like, no, I'm embarrassed because I don't know how to do this. And I'm going to look like a beginner and I'm going to look like an idiot and I'm going to yeah. look like I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So do you have any thoughts on that? 
I agree 99% with that, with that quote. I, there is 1% of fear of individual, you know, that we're, we would judge ourselves. And, and, and I, so I think that's there too. I don't think it's all comparative. I, I do, I do think that there's a part of us that goes, I don't want to, I don't want to think that I can't do this or, or I don't want to find out that I can't do this. And again, like in terms of what you were talking about with people judging, you know, not to knock social media all the time, but that's done a very bad job of making people even more in that realm of comparison. We're always looking over our shoulders sure. at what they're doing. And it's, you know, it's a snapshot anyway, it's not real. But there's a definitely a, what if I don't do this? Now, sure, there's other people will think, but there's also what if I don't do this? What will I think about myself? And again, I, you know, the bigger question of this and my bachelor's degrees in philosophy, it's very much informed what I do to today and all, all the books that I, you know, the four books I've written. I ask to people to reconsider what success and failure is. Because to me, if you train for an ultra marathon, you've already succeeded. You've already taken on something you do not have to take on for any practical reason at all. For, you're, not, you're, doing a half, you're doing a triathlon. There's no reason for you to do a triathlon other than you want to stretch yourself, I, I guess. I mean, unless you have something to prove to whatever, but there's no reason to do. Why would you do that? People go, why would you do that? It's because the experience of it is enriching. That's why. You do it because you get, you get to stretch yourself off this. And now there's going to be days where you have to wake up early and it's miserable and it's uncomfortable. But when you tow that line, you're there already. You've succeeded already. It doesn't matter if you had a bad, that's a day. So if you don't finish the race, do another one. It's, it's okay. What you have done by choosing to take it on in the first place, that's where the success as a human being lies. But we're sold this result-oriented kind of thing. And I think that that's a real tough thing for us as a species to look at just the result. I've had people go, how fast did you go? I go, I don't know. I don't care. And that's a different, it's so right. Cause in the marathon world, it's like, what was your time? Ultra marathons, you can't even compare. One race is so significantly different from another race. Even if it's the same distance, the climb, the weather, the trails, there's no way to, you can't compare them. You cannot compare them. So it doesn't really matter. And so that's a very kind of liberating way to exist. And that's why I love that sport so much because yeah. it's, it's a different kind of thing. Well, I'm sure I'll, ultimately do one because I like endurance things, even though after my last marathon, I'm just like, I'm never running this distance again. So yeah, I can't imagine running more than that, but, but on trails, it's different. And I, I'm and sure I, I don't I'm sure know how to I'll eventually that, yeah. do it. And if you've done a marathon, <laughs> which you have, you could do it with not even that much more training. I'm not even, I'm living proof. Like I'm not a good athlete. And I, I cannot stress that enough to your listeners. I am one of these normal people. I am not an elite athlete, not by any stretch of the imagination. I never have been, never want to be, honestly. And I yet I do these. And it's just people assume, oh, you're a this, this, this. And I go, no, I'm not, you know, and it's, it's just, a, it's like, you could do it. You could do it with very little effort. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. And I agree with what you said earlier in that the success is in the journey. I feel like with me training for this half Ironman, which is still several months away, I've already reaped so many benefits in just my mindset and how I approach life. One of the things you said earlier is that you were out on this trail for 10 hours, no music, just by yourself, just conquering the incline. Oh my gosh, conquering all of that and, and trying to make it through and Ironmans are the same. You can't have music out there. So I've been doing at least part of my training without music. And I'm very dependent on music for right. my movement. And what's really interesting is that when you think about some of this stuff, you're thinking about pain, like, oh, it's going to be so painful. Like my legs are going to be tired. But I find the greatest discomfort, which is very ironic, the greatest discomfort in all of this is monotony. Trying to 
learn how to be okay with monotony and make it through hours and hours of training, no music, staying in zone two, you know, like it's not even that fun to do zone two. You're not even like pushing yourself to the highest limit of your, you know, your speed. But I think sometimes for some people that can be a challenge too. Like things become boring or things become plain and then they want this excitement. And that's another reason why I think some people end up with substances or abusing food. And and I think that's been my journey too, is food has been one of my things. Food has been exciting to me. And I think that's part of my emotional eating journey too, that I've realized. And that's helped me a lot through this journey is realizing, wow, I need to learn how to tolerate boredom sometimes. Yeah. And, and again, discomfort you know, being uncomfortable. Yes. And that I would say, I talk about in the book because I chose just as an experiment when I was training for my first one to train. And I've ever since uh, done, I trained without anything in my head, you know, no podcast, no music. And I will tell you, boy, it was those first, well, not more than, more than the first few, you know, heading out at 5.30 in the morning by myself on a trail or, you know, road getting to a trail with a headlamp and nothing but silence in my footsteps and my breath. And it's a pretty incredible, that, that to me is as equally rewarding as the physical part by far, probably more actually. And I'm an artist also, I'm a songwriter, you know, I'm a musician, many years of a musician. And I will tell you that as I got more comfortable with that kind of silence, that solitude, ideas started popping in, like as if they were there, but just the noise was just keep, I couldn't hear them. And all of a sudden, I, I know, so I was talking about the book, I started running with a um, digital, like a little teeny cop pocket, little digital recorder that I could just easy one button, one button off. So on a three hour run, I, you know, I come back with like a whole slew of ideas, probably most I would toss, but there was some that was, that, that I would use in for songs or for podcasts or for videos or something on my YouTube channel. It was kind of flooding in all of a sudden. It's like, we don't, as a species, we're surrounded by noise all the time. And it's, and it's large part is what we choose to put in our heads all the time. This isn't just like noise in the world. This is stuff that we're intentionally putting into our brains all the time. If you see people standing in line, they're not just kind of pondering and thinking they're on their phone. And I've been guilty of that too. I just had to make a real effort to realize that doesn't make me happy doing that. And I've, you know, I've never told a client to not be on social media, but I've certainly told them to work on ways, other things they could do so that there's less of that. What are they, what are they bringing? You call it mental nutrition. What kind of mental nutrition are they bringing in to sort of push the junk food mental nutrition away? And I've had to do that with myself and still am, by the way, you know, still working. Like I read a physical book. I mean, I'm reading like three books right now. Phys- not a lot, but physical books so that I'm not even reading on my device. And it's like, I have to make a real effort to do that. Every time I do it, I feel better doing it. Like every time yeah. I read my book, I go, oh, that's great. Versus watching YouTube where I'm like, it sucks the energy out of you, you know? Yeah, we've definitely just become consumers. We're always looking for something to consume, 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 something exciting, like little hits, you know, all the time. So I think this is a perfect transition to talk about creativity and what you've learned, just like you were talking about how all of that time on the trail with quiet by yourself, it started really helping to amplify your creativity. But what about the impact of nature as well? I think we're a very creative species. You know, I work at a, at a, I run a wellness center at the Stanford Inn and Joan Stanford, the co-owner with, with Jeff, she's an art therapist and she does creative play shops at the wellness center, which is not an art therapy session. It's people getting their hands figuratively dirty in art supplies. And these are adults and they're creating just whatever. And they, and they sort of get rid of the pretense of good and bad and failure, like success is, it, you know, they, and they just create and they just, she has all these kinds of different materials. 
I think we're a very creative species. I, I don't think that. I know that. Our, we are creative. We are there and we figure out things and even in the tools and the things that we've done to keep ourselves alive. We have a very creative mind. But again, in the modern world, we're pushing that down too. People are afraid to, you know, write a story because it could be bad. People are afraid to, you know, write a song because it could be bad. You know, and I, with clients, I'm like, write it, write a song and then destroy it or write a story and then destroy it. If you're really worried about it being bad, just destroy it afterwards. But, but once you've written that one, then you got that under your belt. Now you get to the next one, which is going to be even better for you, not for people, but for you. And so we are creative. And I think that that's part of what nature brings out in us is this creativity. I think that when we're in nature, there's versatility and adaptability. There's beauty, we notice, and there's whatever. And I think it just inspires that kind of part of our brains that we are keeping shut down. And it's not, again, not serving us very well. Yeah. I think it is important to be deliberate about it because it is so addictive. And you're right. I think having a physical book can help because I often read on my phone. I like having my Kindle on my phone, but I will find myself, I get bored and I'm like, okay, let me just check my email. Let me just check this. And then like 15 minutes later, I'm like, I better get back to the book. And so I'm like doing this constant loop of like, read a little bit and then get a little hit, get a little hit, get a little hit. So it's just like so interesting what the human mind can do. I know. Well, before I change gears, Do you want to give us a few tips? So for those people that they're listening to this and they're intrigued, you know, they feel like, okay, I'm a normal person. I'm not sure, but I'm a little bit intrigued about this ultra running thing. Where can they get started if they want to learn more or if they want to try it out? Well, other than my book, of course. (laughs) But anyways, um, but yeah, I mean, it is like a good, the reason I wrote the book is to, it's not a guidebook. You know, I mean, there's definitely recommendations in the back and I'm a running coach. So, I mean, there's like ways to do it. I think people overtrain way more than they undertrain. Um, so part of it is like, you can do this and be pretty busy. I did, but there's lots of guidebooks. I started when I was doing it other than reading born to run when I realized, Oh, people run on trails. That's ridiculous. Uh, and then I got on one and the light bulb went off, but I started listening to, you know, podcasts about it like this one and things that, that are, you know, like, Oh, to, to hear people talk about it. You know, when I, I direct my race, and I direct a race. And the day before, I always run my course. And I run it with my friend, Skip Brand, who wrote the forward I told you about. So he and I run the course. It's become a tradition. This is the, in April to be the seventh year of the race. And we run the course the day before. And we and we I've already had it marked by that time, but we add additional markings, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the reasons I run the whole race is I check the trails and fine, and I mark. But the real reason is, is because when I get back the next morning, now I've run the race the day before, so it's 32 miles. I come home, I pack the supply truck, I go to bed that night up at 4 a.m. and then I'm on the race site all day. And there's a fair amount of first timers that show up to my race. And the fact that they know that I've done it the day before and I'm up and about and working all day. And it's kind of this like little like, oh, he he looks okay, you know, because I'm having a cup of coffee and a scone in the morning that the stand, you know, and I'm kind of hanging out and they're like, yeah, I was on the trails yesterday with the microphone. And I'm like, it looks great. And they're like, oh, you know, so there's that kind of like ability to kind of see, you know, that's possible and that it's not debilitating and things like that, you know? You survived. You're not yeah. dead. <laughs> that's right. So so for people just kind of like to hear people talk about it, you know, listen to those podcasts, you know, check out, you know, YouTube videos. There's there's people out there who are doing these and and when you see that that a lot of them are not elite athletes, then you go, oh, you know, I mean again, I'll remind people, you know, at least four over 70s, you know, finish my race, 10 over 60s at least every year. These are moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and, and 
people with jobs and people with families, these are not, they, it's at least my race. And I think a lot of ultramarathons, these are not people you go, oh, well, of course they can do it. It's like, no, 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 no. This is people like you and me, like you have no idea. It's very, very cool to see. So yeah, it's sort of like, get yourself some information, but also don't go too deep in the rabbit hole of, you know, data gathering and, and training plans and things like that. You know, use a training plan. That's fine. But I talk about a lot of the book. I had to let that stuff go because I am so busy that there was days I just realized I can't run today. And that's okay. It's not only okay, it's like a good thing to take a break, you know, to not be so married to a training plan that you're like injuring yourself because you ha- I've done it. So you, cause you have yeah. to run on that day. Cause that's what the chart said, you know? Yeah. So this is a very philosophical kind of thing. And, um, you know, you could also do a 10K to, you know, start your thing off. But I will tell you, there's a fair amount of people who do my race that have never done a race before. And I don't mean an ultra marathon. They've never done a race. Their first running race is my race. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's gutsy. Yeah. Do you have pretty generous time limits? I mean, how how long do you wait for the last person? Yeah, I have pretty generous time limits because again, I'm not, I didn't want to craft I crafted the race that I would want to run essentially. So there's things like logistically that I just love the fact that I start the race at 7.30. That's a big thing because most races start at like six. I'm like, that's exhausting. So I was like 7.30, (laughs) like reasonable. And I cap it at 150. It sells out every year. I've got 45 people on a wait list right now, but I do that so that everybody can park right there. You could show up five minutes before. And again, it sells out. There's no sell here. The the race sells out already. I'm just saying what I kind of did is make a logistically easy kind of situation. It's a loop. So there's no point to point shuttles or anything like that. Very, very cool. So I'm very generous because I wanted it to be an accessible, fun, comparatively less stressful experience for people. So I crafted this whole thing so that people can kind of, including my cutoffs. So you get nine, I think nine hours, nine hours. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'll tell you, here's the difference between the people who try to win the race, which isn't many in mind, but you know, there's always 10 or 15 people. They're coming across in about four hours and the last people are coming across in nine. There's a five hour spread from the point that the first people come across to the sec to the, when the last people come across a five hour spread. And that's how ultra running is. It is, is within the first few miles, it's completely open. You're on a single track trail, you're breathing, you're stepping, you're, you may not even see people or talk to people for hours. And it's this, it is a thing. It's a very, very cool, cool thing. Wow. But yeah, so I'm, I'm very generous. I don't think I've ever, I think there was one time where somebody was like, so there were, it was going to be like 11 hours. And I was like, listen, my volunteers have got to go, you know, and I pulled her from the race, but I think that's the only time in seven years I've ever done that. It was just so extreme. Like she was taking mm-hmm. so long, you know? Wow. That's amazing. So cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit because in this book, I read a concept I hadn't heard you talk about before. So I want to hear about your light box and heavy box food concept. Can you explain that and what the importance of that is? Yeah. Well, in the context of the ultra running, it's you know, sometimes we train for something and we go, well, I'm running all these distances. I can eat whatever I want. It's like, well, I, I go, well, not if you want to keep healthy and be able to do more and more of these, right? So I think diet, this isn't news to you, is a major player. And I think when, or maybe the major player, is not the only player, but is the major player. So that sort of, that sort of foundation of good nutrition. Now, what I've done over the years as a nutritionist was try to craft a way of looking at food to make it simple. I don't think it's as complicated, again, as the marketplace makes us believe because it doesn't sell well, to simplify itself as well, to complicate people and make them afraid. And here's what you have to focus on, just this one thing, et cetera, et cetera. So I basically created an analogy when I was, when I was becoming a certified nutritionist, they talked about empty calories. We've all heard it. But for some reason in my brain, I pictured an empty box. I was like, well, an empty calorie, it's empty. So there's a calorie, but it's empty. And I pictured a, basically a box. 
So white sugar would be that box, let's say. And the wrapping paper for me, I, as I crafted this kind of metaphor, the wrapping paper was the calories of the food. So given whatever food it is, it could be fat, could be carbohydrate, could be protein, could be all three, could be two of the three, could be just one, but that's the calories on the outside. And it's the wrapping paper. And I, in my classes, when I teach, I always go, well, what do I do if I give you a, a present? They go, I toss the wrapping paper aside. I go, why? Because they, they go, because I want to know what's inside the box. Okay, now what's inside the box is the stuff that comes with calories, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants, fiber, and water. Things that come that aren't, we're not burning them for energy, but they're so crucial to the health of the food and to health, of, uh, not to the health of the food, but to the health of our bodies. So I say light box food, meaning it's got wrapping paper, it's got calories, white sugar, but inside the box, nothing. Olive oil, it's got calories, a ton of them inside the box, not much, some, but not much, and so on and so forth. Up the line, animal foods, way heavier box than white sugar by far, and then whole plants, the heaviest. So Along that line, you've got fat, protein, carbohydrates, sure, but what's coming with them? So I'm training people's brains to go, calories is how we know it's food. That's just, our bodies can burn a Twinkie the same way they're going to burn a cucumber. But what comes with those calories is that's the stuff that makes our machine run well. That's what makes our bodies more efficient in how we, how we utilize that energy, how we store that energy, how we repair damage in our bodies that can come, by the way, from exercise. As you know, exercise is a stressor. We always go, oh, I can do whatever. It's like, no, you're actually adding stress. When you're, you're training for uh, Ironman, you are stressing your body out. When I train for an ultramarathon, I'm stressing my body. That's why I don't do it all the time. But I also know that when I do that, I got to be extra careful on what I feed my body so that it can get through that stress in a way that doesn't debilitate me so that I can do other things that I want to do, including other ultramarathons. So again, if you just want to burn out, do one ultramarathon and hang it up, eat cheese pizza all day, it's, it's fine. But if you want to sort of continue and be one of those 70-year-olds, which I do, that's running an ultramarathon, I'm trying to figure out how to do that as long as possible. So I'm not pushing myself too hard. I don't care about the time that I finish. I want to continue doing this. I want to feed my body well. I want to sleep well. I want to do my breath work. I want to do all those kinds of things that allow me to live the life I want to live for as long as I possibly can. That's a different mindset than an elite athlete who's trying to get on the podium. Yes. And no judge me either way. It's just not my back. And I don't even train people who are elite. I have no interest in that level of, of micromanaging diet and because you're trying to win. I just want people to live happy, good lives. Um, so the light box, the heavy box thing is just like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Does it come with fiber? Oh, well, then the fiber feeds the good gut bacteria and that keeps my inflammation at bay and helps me sleep better and helps my immune system be more robust. Oh, that's interesting. So maybe if I eat foods that have fiber in that box more often than not, I'm eating a healthier diet, which is true. So it's a very easy way to simplify things for clients and for people in general. And so I think in most of my books, except for my third one, Six Truths, I talk about that light box, the heavy box. It's somehow, it stuck. People love it. I still, people, I still, I still see people I've you know, taught five years ago. Though, I love the light box, heavy box. It's an easy <laughs> way to look at food, you know? Okay, that makes sense to me now. So basically the light box is nutrient poor, Correct. And your heavy box is nutrient dense. Correct. And, and both have you're calories. definitely, yeah. And you're definitely speaking my language because I'm the same way. Like I, one of my biggest values is longevity and well-being. Like I want to feel good doing the things I want to do. Correct. And you're right. When you do a lot of physical activity, it is a stress. So you start to feel these little aches and pains. So right. I think eating a whole food plant-based diet, it really decreases that inflammation, gives your body the nutrients it needs. I've also integrated fasting into my regimen. That helps me a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know if you've ever used fasting at all. 
I have and do. Yeah, I'm an intermittent faster, but I've also I also scatter in you know two to three day water fasts just to kind of reset the clock on that. And the, the science on that's pretty exciting too. Yeah, and so I do. And and again, you know, one of the other analogies I use is like as a car, like the the gas we put in our cars, the calories, and the motor oil we put in our cars, the other stuff, the vitamins and minerals, everything else. And so we're such a gas culture. We just go, oh, it has protein. It's like, well, that's it. That's a that's up here, but what comes with it? So, and one of my pet peeves is somebody goes, "My doctor told me I need more protein." I go, well, "What did she say she meant by that?" Because protein says nothing. You can have protein powder, which is junk food, and you can have spinach, which has more protein than beef per calorie. And the spinach comes with a whole bunch of stuff that runs your car well. The motor oil keeps the machine running really well while it's burning the gas. Spinach has got that. Protein powders don't. So this focus on sort of what we burn for energy is misguided. What I want to know is what's coming with that stuff. How much is your body able to use, like how many tools are you providing your body to do its job well, including recover from exercise? And so it's, again, it's a kind of a misguided kind of place to be. It's like, oh, we're all about calories, calories, calories. It's good marketing. It's just not making us healthier as a species. We get enough calories sure. in the United States, as you know. We're not protein deficient sure. in the United States. You know what we, I mean? We have yeah. an overabundance of the calories Correct. and an overcomplication as far as the understanding of food. It's like sure. you said, it's simpler. It can be way simpler in the way that we understand it and ultimately better for us when we see it in that more simple way. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of Scott Jurek. Yes. Okay. I mean, you know, that guy, he plant-based, one of the greatest ultra marathoners in the history of the sport run West, ran uh, one Western States 107 years in a row, vegan. So this idea that, oh, you have to be, it's like, he's winning. It's not even, you know, it's, it's, he's one of the best ever in, of all time. So can it be done? Of course it can be done. Rich Roll, vegan. I mean, all I, professional athletes in every, in every sport now are turning plant-based. Just heard an uh, interview with Steph Curry who goes, yeah, vegans kind of taken over the NBA because they're recovering faster because they feel better. It's, it's not, this isn't brain, you know, it's again, it's like, is it there or not? Silverback gorillas are eating a bunch of plants going, you guys are crazy. We're getting plenty of protein. You know what I mean? <laughs> why are y'all still arguing about this? Why are you still, yeah, why are people trying to sell you on the protein thing? You know, and it's, and again, great marketing, just not science. Yeah. I mean, I think that says a lot when athletes are starting to change to it because the number one thing they value in their life is their sport. They're going to yeah. do whatever it takes to get better in their sport. Yeah. And if you see that they're changing to that, that means something it did. because it right. means it really does work. You're darn right. How do you define success in this lifetime? Uh, being able to do the things you want to do for as long as you can do them. Success as you, as I am 55 now, you know, and, and, and it's sort of, it's such a great thing to wrap your head around or define for yourself what success is. And that's been one of the coolest things about getting a little bit older in, in hitting middle age is that I... Like I write a book and I'm going, I told somebody recently, I was like, I'm super successful, just not financially. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? And it's like, because I, I'm due, I have a good family and I'm writing books and I just recorded a new album and they go, does it sell? I go, don't know, don't care. I love, I, I actually don't care about that stuff. When I was 20, I did, you know, but I don't now. And it's just this great thing of like doing the thing that you want to do is successful. Writing that story, it doesn't, it does not matter if people ever read it and it doesn't matter if they like it when they do. If you like it and you got through that process, you're a success. I don't care what financials, you know, whatever, you know what I'm saying? And that's, that's kind of a really cool way to, I'm just embodying that more and more with each day. And it's very, very cool because it just frees me up to do more, more cool stuff. When as soon as I lock, let go of the, of the approval of others, I became the most successful. I'm just getting more and more successful every day. And, 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 you know what I mean? And it's, so it's this great evolution. 
Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And that hit home, that hits home to me very much so because I feel like my mind and my soul in this lifetime, I'm not very money oriented. So I do things because they're fun and I want to do them. And I, I just have this very strong urge to do them and I really enjoy them. But trying to align that with this artificial construct that is money and that our society is what they, one of the big factors that they use to define success. Sometimes that can create conflicts. And I found that whenever I change my focus, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do everything I can to just make more money. It takes the joy out of everything. And then I end up doing things different. I end up making decisions differently. So I do feel like there's a way to align them so that you're able to get what you need from both for sure. But you're right, is that sometimes we don't think we're a success because maybe something didn't get as many views or something didn't sell as well. But but you're right that, like I said, the success is in the journey. Did you enjoy it? Did you have fun? Did it bring you this joy? And were you able to spread that to other people? That says a lot in this lifetime for it sure. Does. And, and I, I'll only add one thing, which is that that is predicated on your ability to be present and engaged at a certain time so that you can be aware of that. So that you can regret. That's why, again, that's for me, getting on a trail, being separated gives you that ability to go, oh, I, I am doing the things I want to do. But boy, you get in that world of comparison, you th- start thinking you're a failure because you, you and so you got to just sometimes step outside of it, get on your own, disconnect fully. And trail running is a great thing about that because it's not just being in nature, but it's also the physical act of getting tired and sort of breaking down in a good way. That's when you, those things, kind of, you, you get that awareness of the things that are working for you and you don't even think they are because you know, you're looking at someone someone's Facebook post that looks like they're doing better than you are. And so disconnecting gives you the ability to go, wait, I'm doing okay. Like I'm actually doing the things that I love in a very cool way, but it is predicated on having some times where you can be aware enough to see that stuff. Mm. Oh, I love that so much. It allows you to gain perspective by being like this human on the raw earth Yes. Using your body. Correct. I, that's beautiful. I think I'm going to start trail running. So I'll update you and let you know how please, that goes. Please do. You should come. To, where are you located? Are you in Washington? I can't remember. Washington State. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. I had remember Central that. Central um, Washington. Well, you should, yeah. come, you should come down and do my race next year in 2025. Well, I need to come anyway because I need to come to the resort. So oh, it's been should. on my list. So okay. definitely need to need to come. Cool. Is there a goal or a dream that has evaded you or something that you have left on your bucket list? Or do you have an extremely long bucket list? I'm curious about this. I don't have a big bucket list. I'm kind of doing the stuff that I really like. Um, There's things I want to do more of. Like I'd like to, you know, expand my coaching, you know, for instance, you know, take on more clients at some point. I want to write more books, you know, but I've written them. Um, I want to, well, I started thinking recently of, of a novel. Like I've never written really fiction like that. So I was like, that's kind of cool. I'm finishing up a screenplay with no desire to make it into a movie, but just for the process. It's, what's cool about this is, and it's what I coach people as a small stepper, is trying things that have no practice. I'm learning American Sign Language right now. For no, for no, no practice. My son is like, why are you doing that? I go, because I was interested in it when I was 10. And I remember thinking how cool that is. And I see people who are hearing impaired and I go, I wish I could talk to them. So I'm taking an online course. I do like maybe a minute a day. I'm not kidding. I watch a video and I learn a new sign. And I'm just this kind of adventure background to my life has made me very happy. Um, So as far as bucket list goes, there's nothing I'm going to, look, I've just finished recording a new album. I would love to, you know, go on a little tour again. It's been years since I toured, you know, back in Los Angeles, I toured. Now I'd like to do that again, just like a little bit, just to kind of do that again. But I've done it. 
So it's not like a bucket list, like I got to get that done. It's just things I'd like to continue doing or do more of that I haven't done in a while. That's a good sign. That means you're very content and happy and your life is bringing you joy. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is bringing and not without struggle. There's no doubt about it. And not without daily work, hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Deliberate, deliberate action. Yeah. What do you wish more people knew? How strong they are already. Yeah. We always go like, I want to become, it's like, no, no, you're there. You're already there. It's just get, let that person out in the world. I always say in my coaching, I'm not turning, transforming anybody. I'm getting who they are out. I got, I help them identify who they are. Not because I say nothing about it. I want them to get out through that process and then be, start becoming that more and, and continuing that practice for the rest of their lives, knowing that they can let go of ever being there supposedly, but just a little bit more each day, you know, expressing who they are each day. I love that. And that's a sign of a good coach is whenever you're able to reflect that back to your client, that they already have everything that they need inside of them. You don't need to give them anything, you know, they already have it there. And that's beautiful to see that when people start realizing that and they really blossom, you're just like, oh, it's just so beautiful and magical. A lot of people cry when they cross my finish line. And and it's not because they're in pain. It's because an emotional, like, I did this thing that I worked very hard to do and it's like, the, and they're raw and it's like this outpouring of stuff that they've been sort of like, it's pretty, pretty incredible thing to watch. Yeah. Wow. What does it mean to you to be human? Oof. I think many things create creativity, kindness, compassion. We have an ability to be, you know, when they use the word humane, sometimes that's misguided in the way that it's a humane way of doing this. Is like, no, you wouldn't do that in the first place. But this kind of we have a compassion part of us that is that is pretty distinctly human and our creativity, I think, is distinctly uh, human. And our ability to, the way that our brains evolved to kind of, again, coexist with that fight or flight reality, like going on stage is terrifying and we do it anyways. That's a very kind of, as far as I know, that's a very human thing. Animals could be in that space. I just don't know it. But that's kind of a, kind of a cool thing. How can we evolve in, in doing more of the stuff that we do in spite of our fear in spite of our fear of discomfort or fear of failure, things like that. How can we forge ahead? That's a human. That's, I think what it means to be more human is to express that side of ourselves. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Well, Sid, this has been fantastic. I, it's been such a pleasure to have you back on the show and learn more about ultra running and getting us excited and intrigued by it. So you might see a few more of us out there on the trail. So thank you so much for bringing your experience and your wisdom. I'd love to know where listeners can connect with you, what products and services you offer. So where can we find all your things? Cool. Well, first, thank you so much for having me back on. It was a pleasure like it was the first time. And uh, so I really thank you for, for doing that. Best place to go is two two places. SidGarzaHillman.com is my main site. You can, my, you can get from there to YouTube and my podcast and the books and things like that. And then smallstepintensive.com is my coaching, private coaching, uh, smallstepintensive.com. And then last would be stanfordin.com because I run the wellness center there. So if you ever buy the resort, especially you, I mean, you should come visit and say hi and email before you get here and we can have a, have a cup of coffee or something. And so, yeah, that's, that's where you, those are the three main places to find me. I love it. Well, again, thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you for sharing your experience and your wisdom with us and writing all these books to inspire us and teach us all of these wonderful tips and different ways to see the world. I really appreciate you. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I am Sid Garza Hillman and I am human. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Am Human. I would be so honored if you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. 
We love our listeners and take your feedback seriously. If you have questions or constructive feedback, you can email us at podcast at dryami.com. That's podcast at d-o-c-t-o-r-y-a-m-i.com. I am your host, Dr. Yami Casorla Lancaster. I Am Human is produced by myself and Alejandra Parra. Graphics designed by Alejandra Parra. Music by Angela Sof with Glowbox Productions and edited by the Castos Production Team. Remember, human, you are here for a reason. Have fun, explore, and live your life to the fullest. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.